Okay. A Divine Winter, Part 2. Amen. I think I'm on here. Should be. Warmer? That's right. Right, but I, I don't know where we put our blankets, but if you're getting cold, I bet we can find one for you. I'm not sure if I'm on. Am I on here? Isaac, can you just double check to make sure this is on here? I think I am. Test. Uh, if you'll turn with, you, with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 8. I appreciate that. Genesis chapter 8. And also, if you want, you can turn into Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Just hold your finger there. Genesis chapter 8, verse 22. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, day and night shall not cease. I'm going to let me pray. Father, thank you for today. Lord, we do really do pray that Jesus, that you will give us a meaning for this season in our life. Whatever that season is, that Jesus, that you will give us an understanding and a meaning for our season. The Lord will understand that Jesus, that you pick the seasons, we don't. The Lord, you give us grace for every one of them. And Father, you want us to uh, understand those seasons so that we can grow our best and we can mature the most in each frame of life that we're in. And so, Jesus, I just pray this would be uh, your message to our hearts. I pray that, Lord, you'll touch us in such a way that we will receive from it, and that, Lord, that it'll actually mold the way that we live. And, Lord, I am not content, and I don't think anybody here is content to listen to what, or to even read what your word says, and it not shape or reshape our lives. And so, God, I want a reshaping, as it were, a continual progression in us that we don't arrive this side of eternity, that there's no finality to our footsteps and our maturity in You, Lord, this side of eternity. And I pray, God, You would use this message to propel this church, my brothers and my sisters, and everyone that's called by Your name, propel them forward, God, in the way that You want them to go. Lord, let none of us stagnate or get used to a certain form and get lost at where we're at. But Lord, I pray for the conviction to draw us closer, because God, it seems like our time here is short. And we give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, if you will. So when you read the Genesis chapter 8, what you'll notice is that's not in context if I'm talking about the season of life. It's actually the seasons on earth, the ones we see, like winter outside, Summer and all those. So we have different seasons, and I'm gonna. The reason I brought that out is because God said that the seasons will never cease. Well, when we read in Ecclesiastes, there's another season. It's the season of life, and I know I mentioned that last Sunday, but we're gonna just bring it again this Sunday. Let's read in chapter three, verses one through eight. There's an appointed season for everything, and there's a time for every event under heaven. A time to give birth and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to throw 
stones and a time to gather stones. Time to embrace and a time to shun embracing. A time to search and a time to give up as lost. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear apart and a time to sew together. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. I can't think of another chapter in the Bible that speaks more openly that there are seasons in life. And there's a season in which you're going to plant and there's a season when you're going to pull up. There's going to be different things, different times in our life, different seasons. And we have to be prepared for those seasons. And a lot of times I think that it takes us by surprise. I took some time this week thinking about seasons, some of the most prevailing thoughts about the winter time. And one of the things that I can't help but get over is that for plants, we call it dormancy. For some animals, it's hibernation. For us in Malawa County, it's hibernation. We live a hibernation in the time of winter. There's not a whole lot of activity here in our community in the wintertime. But that's actually a good thing. But the more I took time to think about that, I thought, well, what is the purpose behind the hibernation and dormancy for plants and animals? And the more I looked at it, I thought it just seemed almost pointless in a way because all they ultimately happens is they store up energy. There's no release of energy. There's no giving it out. There's, there's this sense of this storage. And I thought it, just, it seems like there's just a selfishness to the idea of, of uh, winter, so to speak. It's just to stay where you're at. There's no necessarily, nat- naturally, not very much for growth. Now, one thing is true is like if in tree roots, they will grow in the wintertime as long as it's not cold enough. But a lot of people, I I was even trying to think, well, I wonder if the tree roots grow more in the winter than they do in the summer, and that's not true. It's not true at all. Um, They do grow, but they just don't grow at the same rate. So really the growth and the production and all of that happens in the summertime and in the springtime. But we have to remember that there's a purpose to winter. And this was one of the things I came to the, the understanding of, is that winter is not a time of growth. Now, it doesn't mean that we don't grow as Christians, but there's a deeper purpose to winter, our winter season that God has for us. So let's get into that. So let me give you a definition. This is one I wrote down. This isn't a dictionary definition. Uh, This is my heart coming out. I feel like this is God's inspiration for me in the moment. Winter is a change in the cycle of nature. It maintains a part of the overall best and necessary requirement of creation. It supports a multifaceted purpose and a design in God's creation, so much so that the entire system of life and its behavior is radically altered to adapt to its season. A time for the life that brought leaves and fruit to be stored, thus giving a fuller and deeper meaning to God's creative purpose and design. It's interesting that that life changes, it molds to the winter season, and it's completely adapted in such a way as that it doesn't respond at all the same way as is in summer. Neither animals, humans, plants, none of it. God designed creation to come to a pause in the wintertime, like a resting moment. Let's look at a few scriptures that go along with that. So my first point here, God designed life for work and rest. God's plan in the design was not to get the maximum production or efficiency out of life. 
The design God had was not to make sure that everything was continuously producing at its most efficiency. Remember that. Because then you'll understand how important it is that God, in Exodus chapter 23, verse 12, He commands rest. Six days you shall do your work, and on the seventh day you shall rest, that your ox and your donkey may rest, and the son of your female servant and the stranger be refreshed. Isn't that awesome? God didn't just want you to be working and spending your time toiling. He wanted you to be refreshed. And I think there's a very, very important purpose to the idea of a pause in life and nature. The second thought is, is that God constructed not just us for rest, but our land for rest. God, um, in, in Leviticus chapter 25, verses 3 through 4, reads this. Six years you shall show, sow your field, and six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather its fruit. But on the seventh year there shall be a Sabbath of solemn rest for the land, a Sabbath to the Lord, you shall neither sow your field nor prune your vineyard. So in God's original design, it was for there to be intervals of rest, necessary, absolutely necessary intervals of rest. An actual maximum growth would have maximum rest. So the idea is that there's a, there's a part of this is that we've got to take those times when God gives us a season of rest or a pause and we've got to maximize that moment with what God intended. And if we take time to be productive in a time that God's giving us for rest, what really ends up happening is nothing but uh, something counterculture to nature itself. And so if you don't rest well, and have you ever seen somebody that works 24-7, I mean seven days a week constantly? It's almost like they never stop working. How quickly they wear out in life and you notice that they slowly get to where they diminish their ability to continue on in those course. Because God intended for us to be the most healthy with rest or with pause. So here's a few points with that. Productivity was to come to a stop at certain intervals. So when we read those scriptures, we see there were certain intervals that were supposed to stop. Another one is, why I don't, why? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know why God made it that way, but I do know that he did. But we do know that the forced productivity during those intervals of rest is either harmful or absurd. Now imagine right now in the wintertime, I start actually going out into my field, uh, like just say I'm a farmer, and I start plowing my ground and putting my seed. How many of you would say, what is wrong with this guy? The reality is there's something strangely absurd about somebody taking the wintertime and trying to put seed there. And there are ways that we have found a way to continue growth in wintertime, but we have to keep the warmth and the atmosphere for plant growth or for productivity. But they certainly will never be as productive in the wintertime as they are in the summer. It's just not conducive to it. So will our life as well. God intentionally gives us a pause in life. It is our job to recognize it as such. So as I, as I did last time, I, I want to focus again on marriage. I want, to re, I want you to remember there's a pause in your marriage because we all need those times where we look at our marriages and we have to stop just trying to whatever we're doing in our marriage and actually have a stopping point. So this is my thought is, is that when God gives us a pause, it's a time of deep reflection. 
Now, I think about this because I remember uh, there's a lot of jobs I did, and one of the best things you can do on the job is to actually plan ahead of time. Prepare what you're going to do with the guys before you send the guys out. And I'm seeing more and more in ministry that planning ahead and planning and purposing that gives vision and future vision for what I'm going to do. That vision propels forward what you're going, what's going to happen. If you don't have vision and planning, then all you're doing is you're spontaneously trying to, as life hits you, you're trying to respond to it spontaneously in the moment. You really don't know where you're going or why you're going there. And people have lost their sense of purpose because they're not looking beyond this moment. They're just looking at the moment of life. Well, the problem is, is it's a lot, a lot of action is happening, but no real purposeful action is taking place. So this pause in marriage is so important. To have a winter time in my marriage doesn't mean necessarily that I'm going through a time of trial. But I am going through a time where God's calling me to a deep reflection and to reconsider what the, the real meaning of marriage is. So here's a few points that I just want you to think about. So as I said, with, with uh, it's a deep reflection or a time of reflection. It is. So what is it good for? So why would we have a pause in our marriage? And here's one reason why. We want to have a pause and to stop in our marriages, and that's to stop things that are bad before they get worse. How many times have we had something happen between us and our spouse that we realized if this continued for a long period of time, this ends bad. There's no good ending here. And so this, the, the pause is for you to come not only to the realization of that, but is to what is it that I need to do differently than what I have? And that's important in your forward movement before you go anywhere further from there. So here's the one way that we can we can have that pause in marriage and move forward, or, or how would I say collect it, and that's to get uh, have getaways and date nights. With our, with our wife we need and our husband, we need getaways and date nights. How many of you, how many of you are married and have not had a vacation? or a time away, or a retreat, or anything together for a long period of time. It's time to make that consideration. And what is it that brings your, your, you together again? And sometimes we need to rebirth what was one time, that, that early love that we had. Here's another point here. To encourage vision and future thought for your spouse. You know, what, when, when, we think of our, when I think of my wife, I want to think of what God wants to do now and in our future. I want God's mind in His heart for the moment and the going forward. And, and the reason why I say that is because if we let just the norm of the way we feel, and it's compassion as beautiful as that is, as much as I love my wife, I need a download of heaven's vision for my wife and to be able to see more deeply His heart and His thoughts propelling forward. And I think that it's really important for us to not only live together, but as we think about life being purposeful and meaningful, that we're thinking about how much we're looking forward to something that not, has not yet been. The growth or the development of what God wants to do in and how powerful it is to be able to pray from a point of vision. So one way I, I could think of that we could do this is to take time for a spiritual retreat. I remember when I was younger... I was still a teenager, and I, we had the ABC Mountain Retreat over by Walla Walla. 
and I would go there, and I would just go there by myself and fast and pray, and I would go there for three days. And I took a time of retreat. Sometimes it's a time to, to go where they're having a special conference or something and take a time of retreat. And it is amazing how that refreshes you and builds you up and gives you a new sense of purpose going forward for whatever, whether it's marriage, it's work. But a lot of times, most of what we have to deal with is right in our family circles in our own personal life. And so we need a retreat. We need to get away from work. We need to get away from the busyness of life. We need all of those things. As a matter of fact, my wife, she's, we've been talking about giving her some time of rest. So yesterday she had the day to be able to spend to herself and be with the Lord. And as she came home, I saw this, this, this sense of life in her. I could see this refreshing. I could see this, like this new point. It's like this restart button that happened in her. And I just, I, I want to welcome that going forward. And we realize that we can't just have a life of retreat. Like, like uh, Peter said to Jesus, he said, just from now on, just let us camp here. We just want to stay here. And Jesus is like, no, that's not how this is going to play out. But he gave him a moment of transfiguration, and Peter got to see something that he's like, I just want to stay right in this moment. And I think we all feel like when we're surrounded by the presence of God, we have that special moment with the Lord. We want to stay there. But God wants to mobilize that and move it out into our life and to our world. And so one of the best things you can do before you have an argument with your spouse is get time alone with God. Just get time alone with God. And as he begins to take some of the things that you were angry at them about, and now he's now beginning to soften your heart, and now it's hard to hold those moments of anger and frustration. The other thing is, is because we get married long enough to one another that we, we get so familiar that we forget that this can get better. As good as it is, this can be better. Uh, number th- the third point here, the capture to recapture the purpose and meaning of your marriage. So one, to see this for your spouse, but also why am I married to begin with? What was the whole design in this? You know, you get used to doing going to work every day and you forget why you even go. And I think that there, God has a really important part of us understanding the meaning of marriage. One of them is the biblical understanding of marriage. I see people that sometimes look like they're either on the edge of divorce or moving right in that direction. And I can say, I can tell you this one thing. They have lost the purpose of marriage. It was so powerful. Jesus had said, Moses, because of the hardness of your heart, gave you the writing of divorcement. But it was never so from the beginning. Jesus is basically saying, if you could capture one more time you and your spouse could recapture the real heart and the real mind and the design that God had in marriage, you would never come to an end. You couldn't. You couldn't break it off. But oftentimes that requires two of us. But the reality is, is God's pointing to the glory of what was, no matter what happens, the glory of what He intended for it to be. Next point is to take things that are going well and to make them better. Sometimes we feel like things are good enough, but maybe God wants to do more in it. Again, to give enough time to re- for renewed vision and passion for the future. We have to quit coasting in life. Psalm 25, verse 14, The secret of the Lord is with those who fear Him. He will show them 
His covenant. The secret of the Lord is with those who fear Him. We can't spend life coasting along. I remember one time I was driving home from work and I looked at that gas needle and I was watching it dip down to empty. And when it was sitting on empty and I was driving over into Alawa, I was thinking, I don't know if I'm going to make it. I don't know if I'm going to make it. And by the time I got there, I remember the boss, he had looked at it and he said, it looked like you were just coming in on fumes. And that's exactly what it felt like to me. But the fear and the worry of what it's going to be like if, I, if I'm not going to get there and I'm going to be between from gas fuel station to fuel station. But the Lord doesn't want you to spend your life wondering if you're in the place that you're not going to make it to the next fuel point with God. You've got to know that you're walking close enough to Him and spending that time so that the Lord is refreshing you and fueling you for marriage. Fueling you for a new, uh, what do you say, a new zeal for the ministry of your marriage and your husband and your wife. How do I minister to them and let myself go into the background? Now, it's not to say that what God, what you have and a desire for yourself and your needs are not to be met. But your heart is so much for the glory of God and so much for the welfare of your spouse that it, it's not hard to let go of yourself because you're thinking so much in the broad perspective of what He sees. And it's so wonderful to have that because it's like I've got this zeal of like this is, this is like not just my job, but this is my passion. And my joy and my love. I remember an old man I worked for, uh, Emery Stubblefield, back when I lived in Walla Walla. And he was old. He was old. And that man worked in his old age. But I remember something about him, and he was always looking back. And he would tell you a story about his wife and how she had, seen, she had had a vision. And it was a powerful story. It was a powerful story. And I, could, I understood why. That one always came up over and over again. But as I watched that man through the threads of his life, and I worked with him day by day and side by side with him, I wondered where the natural grace for everyday life was. I could see the power of the past, but I couldn't see the power of the present. Does that make sense? I couldn't see it. I was like, how come it doesn't feel like you're a man full of the grace of God at work and in this frame of life, and you're always going back to the past? So there is a point in which looking back too much to the past can be harmful. So this is where pause is good, but what about prolonged pause? <laughs> what about when we let the winter last too long in our life, or just we let, let it go by for too long of a time? We enjoy the reflection. We enjoy the prayer closet time. We enjoy the season of just seeking the Lord and ministering to Him, and we only let that be the focus, and we let it be a prolonged pause, well, this is the thought. Whenever God gives a vision and you stay in the pause moment, the vision never comes to pass. So it's like a waste of a vision. The ruins in the purpose by prolonging an idea will never, but never putting it into action. So it ruins the purpose of prolonging that idea by never putting it into action. Let's read in Proverbs chapter 13, verse 12. 12. Proverbs 13, verse 12. It says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. But when the desire comes, it is a tree of life. Hope deferred. The idea of if we let it pause too long, then the hope that God is giving and birthing in me will now turn to something that becomes a sickness. 
And the last point of a prolonged pause is it gives us an elevated view of ourselves by just holding high ideals. We have this idea that if, if I have a vision and if I have a dream of something going forward and it's so big and it's so large and it's so much the way God would see it, we actually feel strong just for the vision alone. But if we're not careful, we actually have an elevated view of ourselves just because we hold this ideal. Lastly, if there's no pause. So this is the danger of if we don't have a winter or a pause in our life, in our marriage, what can, be the, the circum- what can happen as a result of it? Here's one thought, is we will keep trying to make something work that God isn't blessing. You spend your time uh, spinning your wheels, so to speak, in something that God hasn't had you in. And the problem is, is that if we don't have a, a time of reflection and a stop and a rest, then we won't consider that if this thing that I'm doing really is something God wants me to be doing. And so we don't have that interval to make us reflect on where we're at in the moment. And so sometimes we're literally depressed, frustrated, and tired of what we're doing. And maybe that's because it's not God's will. Maybe that's because that's what God wanted you to do in the time, but he doesn't want you doing right now. So then to go along with that, by having no pause, we'll also be prone to quit working at something or doing what God has put his blessing on. There's this thing that happens to us. The discernment dies when we don't have pause. We don't have a time to reflect and listen to the Lord and gather from His mind the, the ability to understand and discern the will of God going forward dies. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, He says, And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we will reap if we faint not. The idea is we stay the course in what God does want us in. There's times when it can get difficult, grueling, and hard, but you know that it's the will of God. And the propellant going forward is that the Lord is lifting you up as you spend ample time with Him. This isn't just a prayer time, so to speak. This isn't just a daily reflection of the Lord. This is a time in life, a season in life, where you know that God is just calling you to spend some special time with Him for a longer period of time. Days, weeks, months, who knows. But it just means that this is a season in life. Here's another point here. Failure to improve. So if we have no pause, we have a failure to improve because we do not reflect. That's true. That is as true as it ever gets. If I don't take time to think about where where things are at in the moment, and we've had some very heartfelt and wonderful conversations between my wife and I, about life and where we are now. We've had so many firsts this last year. It's just it's incredible. I don't even know how to get my head wrapped around them. But what I've realized in a lot of the firsts is this totally reoriented our life in ways that we're not exactly sure how to, how to go forward. We feel like in every different direction, strings are pulling us. And we're, there's things we have to say no to and things we have to say yes to. But one thing we have to be careful for is that we're still embracing one another during these times. There's times in this ministry where we realize she's over here ministering to somebody and I'm over here ministering to somebody. And by the time it's all done, we came to, to, together to get, go to bed at night. But we forgot that there's, there was more purpose to our life and to our, lo- our love for one another than just getting lost in all the things going on. And so what I realized is, is that if I don't stop and reflect, and after one of those conversations, it hit me. 
I need to make sure to put time for my wife in my normal everyday schedule. I need to make sure that she's a part of that. And I need to find ways to listen to what she says and the desires of her heart and find ways to adapt to that even when I feel like I'm busy. But knowing and realizing that this is the reason why I'm coming to that point is because there's reflection. And I felt God speak to me in this one way. I felt the Lord say, if you don't learn how to improve your time, you will never honor hers. I really felt the Lord in the time of reflection, opened up my thoughts, I was like, that's so true. I know I'm not going to get there to where I'm going to be able to honor her time. And it's going to be the difference of her time, my time, rather than it is God's time and his purpose for our relationship together. And lastly, uh, when there is no pause, we lose the purpose and the heart for what God originally generated the desire for. What God generally generated the desire for, you lose the heart for it. You know, my wife looks different to me after 18 years of marriage than she did when we first got married. There are things that we know about one another that we didn't know before. There are ways that we can easily grieve one another that we, can, we, we wouldn't have known before. But there are also ways that we have realized that we have become more mature and more committed toward one another than we ever were when we first started out. There are times when I realize that she's had her deep grievances with me, and rightly so, because there were things that I had overlooked or things that I hadn't paid to paid attention to, or simply the fact was I was looking at, this, at myself primarily, and it became my main focus. I'll note, I noticed this, that when I'm stressed and I have a lot going on, I have the tendency, like probably the rest of you, is to stop remembering that I've got somebody so special in my life, somebody so important. Sometimes some of you have been ministered to her by ministered to her in so many powerful ways, and that I've lost her ministry because I lost the focus of how important she was in those moments. So God calls me to a pause because He knows that that marriage isn't going to be its fullest. It wasn't going to be as He designed it for it to be if I don't take a pause, if I don't have a moment of time. Ladies, don't be grieved with your men. Never be grieved with your men for taking time out to pray. And always encourage them, pray for me, sweetheart. Pray for me. And, and tell them specifically what you'd like for them to pray for. Marriages suffer mainly because somewhere along the way we lost what brought us together to begin with. And ever since, we slowly let the heart of it fade away and got lost in the dry mechanics of it all. And with the form holding us together, we managed to push God out of the picture. Or at best, we made Him a form also. I love it when I can hear a couple say, I've had 30 years of marriage, 40 years of marriage, and it feels better now. I love my spouse more now than I ever have. It's greater than it ever was. I love that. You know, if you have that, then you have the world in your hands. Because I'll tell you this. I'll tell you, I could minister to a thousand souls, and I could have hundreds of them come to the altars and coming to Jesus and surrendering to the Lord, but there is nothing that would crush my heart more than to watch my marriage fail behind that. Nothing more difficult. And I remember when we first got married, the, the pastor who had, had married us 18 years ago, he said to me, he said, marriage is work. 
And he made this statement. He said, if you'll work it hard, as hard at your marriage as you do at, uh, at other things, it'll work. But he reminded me that marriage is work. And we have to remember it is work. But there's a work and there's a pause. Oh, if I could say this with all of my heart, I would say, please pause. Please take some time to recount and pause. I remember a time, I think I said this before, but when I was in, in Stroudsburg, Pennsylvania, doing my internship there, um, there was a woman who had a moment of pause. I had a moment of pause. And it was so powerful because this woman, she was so faithful to come into church. She was a church church secretary. She was... I enjoyed being around her. She was quite an influence. And I remember she had she had also had a husband that never came to church. And I think her marriage was working and it was fine. There was no problems ultimately. But what I didn't realize then, but I realized afterwards, was that she was just kind of coasting through on her marriage. And something that was a purpose of, of her husband had been kind of lost in all of that. And so I had just shared with something that God had revealed to me, and it was simply that Jesus had said when he came to Lazarus' tomb, he said to, La- he said to the people there, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. But he told them, you roll away the stone. That was going to be on their effort. Now, Jesus could have, by his own power, I'm sure, moved it, but that's not what he called for. He said, you remove away the stone. And I shared that with her, and I said, what I see that is there's a stone of unbelief oftentimes over the tomb of somebody that we love. And in order to see God's resurrection life in them, we have to roll away the unbelief in our own life. And she looked at me, and you could see the light go off. It hit her. And I could see, it was just like... The shouting, the joy that happened in that room in that moment was, this was God's word for her. And she needed that pause of a reflection that she'd lost her husband, her heart for her husband over so many years of marriage because she was coasting. And you know, I think that we all need that. No matter how difficult your marriage, no matter how hard your relationship is, oh, get God's heart. Oh, get God's heart. That same heart that Jesus said He died for His enemies. He gave Himself for them. Imagine the vision in the eyes of God for a sinner that's lost an enemy toward God in their heart, totally committed to selfish living and an idolater. And now God's saying, even though you're in your idolatry, you're so far from any picture that I really had for your created purpose, I still have a vision for your future. I've had so much of a vision that I sent my only son and he died for you that I would resurrect you and give you brand new life. And that life would alter everything about you. Literally, all things would become new and all things that were old would die off and you'd become a brand new person because of that. And if you can't say that because of the salvation of Jesus that I'm made so new, that I remember my old life and what I used to be. Now, you don't have to be a drug addict. You don't have to come from addiction. You don't have to come from poverty. You don't have to come from a very suicidal way of life. You don't have to have a dark past. You can be a very moral person and see the reflection reflection of that regenerating life of God in you because of what Jesus has done. You can say, I was very moral, but I was very heartless toward God. I was so far from worshiping Him as my Creator. I wanted to worship Him as the one who would do for me what I wanted. I wanted Him to be my genie, but I didn't want Him to be my God. I wanted Him to make my life better, but I didn't want to serve Him myself. 
So I was moral, I was a good person, but I was very desperate, desperately wicked when it came to worshiping God. So winter is a season not so much for growth, but for reflection. That's powerful, and I want you to remember that. When you're going through that, when you recognize and you say, I know this is a winter season for me, you're not trying to grow in those times. You're not trying to be fruitful and productive. You're stopping and letting the Lord speak His message to your heart. You know, you read the story of Elijah, and Elijah, when that moment came into his life, he's, he was complaining to God that he was the only prophet left in Israel. And God said to Elijah, He said, uh, actually, there's 7,000 men that haven't bowed the knee to Baal. You've got the wrong perspective here, and you don't see the re- reality. And God repositioned him, reconstructed him out of that moment. Peter was another one. And you read the story of Peter as we did last week, some of the stuff going on. And Peter had denied Jesus three times. And Jesus told him, you're going to do this. But Jesus didn't do it with the fear that Peter was going to lose his way after that. He knew that Peter needed this moment of reflection, deep and heartfelt, broken reflection. It's so much so that the Bible says that when he looked at Jesus, Jesus looked at him and he noticed it after the third time of denial, he went away and wept bitterly. Wouldn't we all? But that moment of reflection finally brought Peter to his point of Pentecost. Peter needed this moment. And if he didn't, if he didn't meet God in this moment, I don't think the next one would have come. Your blessing lies behind your pause. Your blessing lies behind your pause. Will you take that time with God? For those who do not take regular intervals of time of prayer, I want to say this as, as an exhortation to you. I want to tell you, take that time with God. Make sure you have that moment of pause. Because that moment of pause prepares you for the rest of what you're doing. And if you don't take that time, you may find yourself coasting through life, but you'll never find the power of God's grace molding you in that moment of life. You need God at work behind the scenes of everything you do. And it's powerful when you feel the the weight of God's presence and His providence pushing you along in life as if there is nothing that can deter you from what you need the most. And it's great to have God working in those ways. And what you'll find is, you'll find it in a sense, you're like, I know that I'm using my natural gift and talent here, but I also know that God is doing something way bigger than my natural gift and talent. Way bigger than my natural gift. And you begin to feel that and you sense the personal work, and we call it a personal relationship for that reason. Because if you're not sensing the grace of God molding you into all you're doing, reshaping the way that you uh, are in your family, the way you are at work, the way you are with your spouse, re-putting a new love and a new vision for them in your heart, you'll find yourself struggling in areas where God wants to lift you up. God wants to just pick you up beyond that point. There's some of us who've lost the vision for our own life, and you need the challenge of God wants to minister through you in a very special way. Don't lose that. Don't lose that. But if we don't take this pause, then we're going to miss it. We're going to miss it for sure. So I'm going to say this one more time, that the definition of the winter that I had given you earlier. Winter is a change in the cycle of nature. It maintains a part of the overall best. Now think of this in the spiritual sense of your marriages. For the necessary requirement of creation. It's a necessary requirement. God made it necessary. It supports a multifaceted purpose and design in God's creation, so much so that the entire system of life and its behavior is radically altered 
to adapt to its season. A time for the life that was that once brought leaves and fruit to be is now to be stored, thus giving a fuller and deeper meaning to God's creative purpose and design. So what I want to invite you to do here at this end of the sermon, I want you to I want to have a different altar call. My altar call is this. A lot of times I'm asking you if there's some, and I'm saying that to all of you, if there's some point you're like, I feel convicted and I need to spend some time with the Lord. I want to make this altar open for you. But I also want to open the altar for those of you who are, you want God's vision. Lord, I want vision for my family, for my husband, for my children, for my family, for my church. And I don't want to lose it. And I want to take this moment as a pause. I want this to be a, I want to be this an altar of vision for you. I want you to take time and let God spread his vision in the altar. And if there's too many people here as a result of that, that's all right. Just stand behind them. Just come forward as God ministers to you. But don't let this time pass. You know, sometimes we don't feel like God wants to say something or do something in the moment. But you do sense this. You sense, I want God to do something in this moment. That's why you come. You don't come because you're necessarily feeling it. You come because you sense it's your desire pulling you toward God. That desire pulling you toward God is what I'm inviting this this morning. So if I could have the worship team come up. While they sing, I want you to come as you're led. Come up front for your time, vision. And if the Lord's convicting you of something, I want you to take time before the Lord this morning. We're not going to let this altar call die off. Uh, quickly, we're going to give you that time. Amen?